Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon or Substack. All of the money raised is used to fund online hosting and build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of our conversation with Drew Hookema. All right, so Drew, why don't you kick us off? Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your family, and the church that you're at. Sure, thanks. Um, I was born and raised in southwestern Montana. Um, so there was there, there's a, a just a group of Christian Reformed churches that are outside of Bozeman, Montana. That's where I, I spent the first 18 years of my life, and um, I had what I guess you would consider the traditional Christian reformed upbringing where you go to church Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and, uh, and maybe even a coffee time in between with some ham buns. And then, um, and then I graduated from a Christian day school. So it was very much kind of the, the, the typical CRC upbringing. Um, but then I ended up graduating from Northwestern college in the twin cities in Minnesota. I wanted to study broadcasting. And so, um, thank you for bringing me on your podcast so I can revive my broadcasting there career we go. <laughs> up from the ashes. Um, but, uh, so I did graduate with, with that degree, but after working for a year in the cities at a TV station since really since the call to ministry. And so I enrolled at Westminster seminary in Escondido, California. And, um, it was during that time also that I met my wife, uh, Katie. And she was a student at the University of Colorado in Boulder. And on my way back to California from one of my summer internships, uh, we had mutual friends who were dating. And so they, when they heard that I was going to be spending one night in Denver, they arranged uh, a meeting between us and um, more or less a blind date. And then I proposed to her four months later. So it went really, really well. Um, and now uh we, we were married in 2016 and that same year i also took um took the call here to platte south dakota so we have been here in platte uh since 2016 and this is my first obviously my first uh my first charge and uh, this this is a town that's about 12 miles away from the missouri river so the missouri river cuts south dakota diagonally 
I always said, I, drew, I drove across South Dakota growing up and I always said, why would anybody ever live in South Dakota? What a terrible place. Um, but instead, like like the Lord does with many things, it's it's been a complete 180 where we love South Dakota. We love being here. There's, uh, there's four Christian Reformed churches right in this area. Um, it's it's an area where a lot of hunters and fishermen come during the summer and the fall. Um, our church is about just under 200 members. So um, we've really come to, my, my wife is actually an Iowa native and me being from Montana, South Dakota is kind of the, the nice middle ground where we both uh, sense a few things that we're comfortable with. And now we have two kids. So we, we have a three-year-old and a two-year-old as well, as, uh, as well as two dogs. You can't leave out the two dogs. That's right. Yeah, I've always said uh, I could not live in South Dakota, but I could probably live in Platte because Platte just doesn't seem, I don't know, being cl that close to the Missouri River, that's a thats a beautiful area. Yeah, it is. It, it is interesting how even, uh, so like, yeah, there, there's the string of, there's a lot of Dutch immigrants who came here, figured out that the farming actually is, is pretty difficult. So they kept on going and they went to Washington State. But, but the ones who stuck around here, are, are from here to Corsica and Corsica, even, even that town in that area feels a lot different from Platte, which is only 25 miles away. Um, but, but yeah, here it's, it is, uh, there's a lot of outdoor activities. This is, this is for those who live in South Dakota and the region, this is kind of a tourist area. So we noticed that in the summertime, you, there's a lot of people who you don't recognize. The town itself is only 1500 people and it is, it does take some getting used to uh, like Walmart is 60 miles away. Um, the airport is two hours away. So you definitely feel disconnected from a lot of things, but that's something that we, we don't mind so much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's even more disconnected than where you grew up in Montana, right? Yeah. And, and the area I grew up in Montana, even since I graduated high school has changed dramatically where it's, um, it's, it's seen a big influx of people. Sometimes they call it the, the Yellowstone TV show effect. And I think that's only uh, half joking. I think there is a lot of people who during the pandemic watched Yellowstone and decided we're going to go. That's what we're yeah. going to do. And so that area has gotten to be, um, it's, it's really thriving in terms of population. So yeah, in some ways, Platt um, feels more like the Montana that I grew up with than the one that I go back and visit now. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot how much we had in common because I grew up. Uh, well, grew up. I moved there when I was nine, but I was I was in between Manhattan and Three Forks for about seven oh. years. Oh wow! Okay. So yeah, I didn't go yeah. to the CRC churches there, so I was a heathen, you know. But I, I came to faith at the little Bible church in Manhattan, Montana. Oh sure, the Manhattan Bible Church. Yeah. Yeah. So just seven miles away. Yeah. So so yeah. So I kind of know what it's like to grow up out in the middle of nowhere a little bit. I I love that. Yeah. yeah so it, it's yeah, it's a beautiful area. Um, it, it's phenomenal and, and the secret is out. So a lot of people have moved in, but it, it does just like Platt, the thing it has in common is you do feel fairly disconnected from the denomination as a whole yeah. for better and for worse. Um, you, you're just not quite as, uh, linked in on a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Cause I think that's, uh, an increasing theme lately, but I don't want to go there quite yet. I want to hear. Cause I also forgot that. So I'm a, I'm an alumni from uh, Northwestern college in St. Paul as well. Was that right? Wow. That's where I graduated. So I graduated with my bachelor's in ministry there. 
Okay. Um, I, I started off there right out of high school as a as a phi ed major and a coaching minor because that was my big thing. I wanted to be a football coach. That was my. Sure. So my you were going to be the coach, and I was going to be up in the booth broadcasting the game. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and when so you went to was... Northwestern, I'm guessing you probably weren't allowed to have a television in your dorm. Oh no way! No, yeah, it's not allowed when I was there. Yeah, things had really become liberal by the time I got there. We could have TVs. <laughs> Well, see, everybody was a bunch of heathens because the internet, this makes me sound really old, but the internet was like becoming a thing in streaming. So people <laughs> were watching stuff on their laptops and then the RA would yeah. come in and they'd have to shut their laptop quick. Like, I'm not watching anything. <laughs> yeah, it was wild. It yeah, was a yeah, wild yeah. deal. But what what drew you to Northwestern? Well, yeah, I was actually, my first year of college was at Dort. So, you know, I was really swimming down the 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 CRC approved stream matriculating to Dort College and um and and there was uh really a couple of different things going on at that point and the one was I, I did just really want to try to do broadcasting in some shape or form and there was ways you could kind of make it work at Dort but Northwestern um owns a whole as you probably know the whole network of Christian radio stations in the upper Midwest and because of that, they have a very well-developed broadcasting program for undergrads. So that was really appealing to me. But along with that, um, there was at least some desire in me to experience life outside of the um, Dutch CRC context, um, where not everybody's name is starts with a van or ends with an MA. Like, I wanted to at least have a taste of what that experience is like. So those two things were kind of combined um, to, and, and I had gone to Northwestern while I was in high school, I, I did a visit there and, and did really love the campus and loved the Twin Cities. So I, I just wanted a, a totally different taste. So, so yeah, that's what Northwestern gave to me being in the Twin Cities. And, um, and yeah, when you're at Northwestern, it's broadly evangelical, but yet very, you know, conservative, for lack of a better word. And so you'll run into people who, if you say I would baptize an infant, they'd say, well, you must be Roman Catholic. Um, <laughs> that's just foreign to them. And that was good for me in the sense that I had never been forced to think about, I, I you just always thought, okay, these are beliefs. And now I had people who very much were committed to the Bible and very much committed to the Christian faith. And yet, um, had had different conclusions. And so it actually forced me to think about them a lot more deeply. Yeah. Yeah. My experience there, uh, most of my professors, not all of them, but most of them were kind of along the lines of John MacArthur, I would say. They had kind of a reformed soteriology, but uh, were Baptist and dispensationalist. Um, that was a lot of my professors, not all of them. I, I very quickly became known as the reformed guy in the class. And so every time they'd mention reformed theology, they would look at me. And I said, it was really good because it forced me to, to really recognize um, and represent other people's views accurately. Mm -hmm. um, but it also, I graduated from there probably more reformed that, than I was going in there or more confident in my understanding of reformed theology. Cause I walked out yeah. going, yeah, this is good. And this is, this is what's right. But, but I really appreciated a lot of, a lot of my professors there. Yeah, I, I still think, um, and, and I don't, maybe it's changed in 10 years, but I would say that my experience there was pretty similar. And, um, 
and the other thing that's going on there too, you know, when I'm at Northwestern, it's, it's from 2008 to 2011. And that's, that's especially when, um, the, the John Piper influence was maybe at its peak. Mm-hmm. And while I was in the twin cities, I didn't go to Bethlehem Baptist, um, for, for, for various reasons, but it was during that time that, um, especially in, in broadcasting classes, we're, you know, we have this radio station that the students are running. And part of it is we, we listen to sermons and we would just take little snippets of sermons and, and kind of set it to music or something. And it was just part of our, our station, which was really fun. But, but um, yeah, even though I didn't go to his church, he was one of the pastors that often you'd be listening to these sermons and that had a huge, that had a profound influence on me. So that's something we might come back to, but um but but then with a lot of those guys and their teaching, as I'm starting starting to be like, okay, what what really are these guys? And and I really like what I'm hearing. You know, what kind of church is it? And, and I'm figuring out that they're actually holding to a lot of the things that that we believe in the CRC. You know, I have I have a lot of disagreements with John Piper, but like you talk about with the soteriology, there. But but the difference is they're proudly. Uh, and, and um, articulating it with passion. Uh, and so that was an uh, interesting thing that that I realized during that time at Northwestern. Yeah, well, tell us tell us a little bit about then your call to ministry and kind of recognizing this transition from uh, desire to enter broadcasting, but then uh, moving into ministry. Yeah, um, I mean, I've heard some people say that if you're if you're called to ministry, try doing anything else first. And mm-hmm. maybe you guys have heard that too, uh, but that's kind of the way that it was. So broadcasting was really like my fourth different major that I had tried. Um, and I had done a lot of different things and it was, it, it, it was a full 180 where going into college, I had had multiple people say, oh, you should go into ministry. And that was the one thing I did not want to hear. I, I didn't want to hear that at all, but it was always lingering in the back of my mind. And um, I think because of my spiritual growth during college, I started to take it a lot more seriously until it got to that point where I was working at a, at a television station. And um, if the question was asked to me, well, what do you really want to do? There was only one thing I wanted to do at that point, and that was go, and, go to seminary and, um, and, and go into ministry. So it did seem like the, really the one thing. And, and it, in a lot of ways, you, you you guys probably see this too, where you can look at your past and you can see the Lord and his sovereignty arranging things in a way that in hindsight makes sense. So even you know, going into broadcasting, it wasn't at all thinking because I'm going to be a pastor someday, obviously. But as I look back on it, there were a lot of skills that were gained during that time and a lot of things that I had to learn through that process that have been really, really helpful to me when it comes to ministry, especially when it comes to preaching. Um, so because I went to Northwestern and it was broadly evangelical when I was thinking about going to seminary, I wanted to go to a seminary that was more um, explicitly reformed to kind of go back into, to, to, to more explore my own roots, I guess, and to, to learn more deeply where I had come from. And yet um, I didn't necessarily want to go further East uh, being a kind of a West a mountain West guy. We don't like crossing the Mississippi river very well. And, um, 
And, and so I was, that's what really appealed to me about Westminster was that it was, it was on the West coast. I had a sister who was living there, but I was also really, um, during that time, I had been really helped by some of the writing and speaking of Michael Horton, who mm. was a professor at Westminster. And so he was, uh, he was a big part of the draw and the pull to go and study there. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, Drew, I, I kind of see right now Michael Horton's systematic theology <laughs> on your shelf. And that was very influential sure. for me, too. Um, I would actually like to ask about your time spent at Westminster. Um, do, you, do you look back at that decision and go, I'm really grateful for the theological education I got? Um, and then into even the EPMC program. I mean, how did these things shape you as you were going into to pulpit ministry? Sure. Um, yeah. I, in a nutshell, I'm tremendously grateful for Westminster. And if anybody was asking me about what seminary should they go to, it might be depending on the person. It might be depending on what their place in it is in life, but it would still be at the top of anything that I would recommend. It's, it was a place that I, I feel like I benefited from really, really, really greatly. Um, it was it was a little odd. My experience there was odd because I'm a CRC guy, who's and I didn't really know this going in. Um, you know, when you grow up at, in the CRC, you sort of figure, well, we're probably more conservative than anybody else. You just sort of have that feeling. And then I went to, into Westminster, and I very much found that was not the case. <laughs> so they were there was kind of this. If it came a conversation. Because the CRC I grew up in, it would still be what you'd call a pretty conservative church. Um, but but when you say, oh, I'm going into the CRC, you'd get kind of raised eyebrows. And I didn't, I had to learn a lot of history at that point that I, that I wasn't necessarily aware of, you know, things that had happened when I was like six years old and, and I had no idea it was going on. And so I'm sort of retracing a lot of the history and figuring out why, you know, at Westminster, um, if professors are in the Dutch reform tradition, they're in the URC. And so that made it, it, I wouldn't call it comfortable. It was not necessarily comfortable, but it was, I think, beneficial for me to, 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 to get that perspective, to interact with them. And, um, and I also loved at Westminster, the sense that you had a, a little bit more, at least of a broad student body. So I'm, I'm hanging, I'm hanging out with Presbyterians, you know, people in the OPC, PCA, but then in Southern California, you also have a lot of people who go to Westminster just because um, they want to be in California. They love the area. And so you have Calvary Chapel uh, people who are coming in and, and, and guys who are just in sort of non-denominational Bible churches. And so um, I can remember there was one class where we had a, a lecture and, and Michael Horton was it was in his class and there was another student raised his hand and said, now I apologize for this question because I didn't grow up in the reformed tradition, but, and then Horton cut him off and he said, okay, hold on just a sec. Raise your hand here. If you grew up in a reformed church. And I think out of the class of 40, there was maybe three of us who raised up, raised our hand. And, um, and that was, I didn't, it just dawned on me at that point that just having that experience was really helpful for me as somebody who did grow up in the reform context in realizing you, you, you sort of catch some of the excitement and the enthusiasm that the other students have that those of us who maybe familiarity breeds contempt. I don't know. We, we grow up with it, take it for granted. 
And, um, and that was really, really helpful for me as far as that experience goes. Um, and so, um, it was, it, yeah, it, it was a huge blessing. It's, it's a rigorous education. It's a, um, they're unapologetically reformed. And then I was, I don't know how many students still do this, but, um, I did the full on campus full semester at Calvin for the EPMC. And, um, and I would, I would recommend that other people do that also. I know most people do it concurrently. So they'll take a class every semester remotely. And that's obviously more convenient, especially if you have a family. Um, but for me, I had never been to Grand Rapids before. I never stepped foot on Calvin's campus. And in hindsight, it was just wonderful because you just get a greater sense of how things work and why things are maybe the way that they are. Uh, and I was, I would say, um, my time at Calvin was really appreciated also. Uh, in, in that you, when you are out, out West, out here, and you're more on the conservative end of the spectrum, there does start to become this attitude of, well, if it comes from Grand, Grand Rapids, it must be bad. And I needed to discover that that's not necessarily the case either. I needed to have a better, a, a better, um, I guess humility about it and realize that there's a lot of really good people and, especially the faculty at the seminary, um, getting to know them was wonderful. Um, and the seminary itself, it, it was, a, it was a, a pretty good experience. Um, <laughs> there were some classes that, that, you know, there was, uh, there were some classes that were really, really helpful. And just to be frank, the, the hermeneutics class that I took reformed hermeneutics was not helpful at all. Mm. Um, so you get, you, you have, um, I would say, surprises both pleasant surprises and also surprises where you're like oh this is what our denomination seminaries is teaching and that was a little bit troubling also so it was a little bit of a mixed bag but i think it was a good experience yeah that's helpful yeah i i want to touch on a couple of things you said um one it, it is always helpful to just remember the the good and the bad right of of uh, some of the things happening there. There's some really good stuff happening at Calvin seminary. And uh, sometimes that can, some of the good stuff can get overshadowed with some of the, the really frustrating things that are happening there. Um, and you, you graduated from Calvin seminary, Jason. I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I, I, you know, I had, I've had some really good classes, um, some really good professors there. And then some that really um, sent me through the roof and <laughs> with a lot of frustration. <laughs> yeah. Well, as, as well. an EPMC student, it's such a weird experience because you're you're only taking a handful of the classes. You don't get a real sense of like some of those core classes, and you're just kind of viewed as um, just weird because it's like, oh, nobody knows who you are. You're only there for a semester. Um, it's it's a very odd experience. Yeah, but yeah, you do get at least a, you do get at least a taste of the the atmosphere, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Yeah. And I found it really helpful. Uh, probably the most helpful part of attending Calvin Seminary for me has been the the relationships with fellow CRC pastors that I was able to kind of get there and then have been able to. Yeah. yeah. So I'm now, I've, you know, I'm close friends with pastors, not just because of the podcast, but just because of the being at the seminary with pot pastors all across the U.S. and Canada, you know, and yep. so kind of wherever I go, I'm like, Hey, I know somebody there. 
And that's, and that's a, what I missed out on a little bit, I would say. Um, I have, you know, sometimes a vacant church will reach out and they'll say, oh, do you know of, of anybody that to recommend? And I'm a little bit like, uh, I don't know many people at all <laughs> in our denomination because there's a handful that I went to seminary with, but not very many. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a benefit. But I also, I wanted to jump back to something you had mentioned, because I, I think you'll have some unique insights into this. One of, one of the things that really uh, actually has caught me off guard um, as I've been doing this podcast is uh, um, I've noticed a lot of the people who are really passionate about the CRC, passionate about reformation in the CRC, um, are people who did not grow up in the CRC, but came to the Reformed faith later, and then came to the CRC because of our theology. And then a lot of them got here and went, whoa, this is not what I was expecting when I got here. And uh, and so they've been working in that. And you had mentioned that kind of feeling, you know, maybe, uh, 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 what is it? I forget the saying, but anyways, you, growing up in it, you kind of just get used to it. You don't always take it for, you kind of take it for granted a little bit. And, uh, and so people coming in from the outside have looked at the CRC and said, this is what's going on kind of broadly across the Christian Reformed Church, where a lot of people have kind of grown up in it, taken it for granted, and even slowly begun to maybe even despise some of the, the beauty of the CRC. Do you see that happening kind of broadly throughout the Christian Reformed Church? I do. And I, I think about it a lot. And I, and I think about, I wonder about that. So that was one difference between like Westminster and Calvin is you go to Calvin Seminary and you're talking to a lot of students who, for lack of a better word, came through the CRC pipeline where they went to a Christian school, they went to one of the colleges, and and then now they're at Calvin Seminary. And they just have a very different attitude towards, um, I, I don't know if you want to say our confessions, towards our heritage, towards, but it's just a different attitude towards a lot of the theology. And I've thought about that a ton because even with my own story, you know, it took me sort of jumping out of the stream for a little while. And, and I don't think that should be necessary. I don't think that I'm thankful that that's the way it worked for me, but, but it makes, is, is it just, are you trapped in this familiar familiarity breeds contempt? That was the phrase that I used mm. where that's just the way that it's going to work. Uh, I don't think it should be that way. I mean, I don't think it is that way in some of the other denominations. Like if you talk to somebody who is raised in, um, you know, I don't want to exalt the PCA as like the, the best church there is because it's got its own problems. But but there's a lot of people who, if they're raised in that context, it, it's not that it doesn't work that way with them. It's not like like it is with a lot of Christian reform contexts. And, and, and so some of this is anecdotal. It's my own experience. And there's people who have their own, other stories. But um, I, I wonder about that a lot and and why that is. And I think there's a lot to it. Um, but I also think this is my own thoughts about it. I do think that sometimes our, in our church culture, the, the confessions and the theology can start to be kind of assumed. And so it actually isn't emphasized all that well. And the other things tend to take more of a precedence. The other cultural things, the other cultural ties can take more of a precedence and become more important to people. Mm -hmm. 
I, I kind of wonder about that. And, and maybe you guys have some other thoughts about that too, I'm sure. Yeah. I, well, I'd be curious to hear from Willie on this one because I'm, I'm one of those guys. I didn't. So my, my CRC heritage runs deep, you know, my, mm -hmm. my dad grew up in the CRC and my grandparents and my great grandpa, you know, six generations back. Um, but I didn't because my dad hated it. And so he was like, I will never be CRC. And so kind of left it when he graduated. And then, uh, in God's providence, when I was 15, we ended up joining a CRC church in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So I kind of left it, kind of came back into it. You you grew up in it, left it, appreciated it, came back to it. But Willie's kind of grown up in it, never left. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be curious from you, what what was it for you that has kind of helped you grow up in the CRC, but also still appreciate the, the doctrine, the theology, um, not feel like you have to leave in order to appreciate it? Well, I appreciate the question. My story is probably a little bit different. Um, being a child of the covenant, I didn't actually experience regeneration until later in my teen years. Jason, as you well know, and plenty of our listeners know at this point too. But uh, that meant that um, faith was taken seriously by my family, but not necessarily by me. Uh, so even, you know, the church I attended, um, attended Sunday school was given the means of grace uh, from infancy. I went to the Christian school, um, you know, kindergarten through eighth grade. Um, but I never really took hold of my faith at all. And the promises that were made to me in my baptism until I was 17. So my context was different in that sense. Um, I didn't come to appreciate the reformed faith and the reformed tradition until others such as yourself started really teaching me and pouring into me and discipling me, um, not just to know God's word better, although that was, that was a primacy, obviously, but it was also to understand our reformed faith and confessions better. And once I picked them up, I couldn't put them down. Uh, and to this day, still haven't put them down. I mean, I could tilt my shelf and, and, you know, there sits Burkhoff, there sits Bavink. Um, and then you get, you get even like Cornelius Van Til, Greg Bonson. Um, these, these people articulate the truth of the Reformed faith. And I would say the broader scope of what scripture says in a way that these other authors from different denominations, you know, don't emphasize. Um, I think they emphasize, you know, things like the kingdom of God as a whole, his sphere sovereignty. I think these things are, are more prevalently taught in the Reformed faith and tradition. And I think we're in a unique place in history where, as the denomination goes, the conservatives, I wouldn't say we're taking ground, but we've established that the ground here is is ours, um, at least most of the way. Um, but there's still areas of reformation that need to be done. Um, and that's kind of why we started this podcast. So that's why it, it's, it's not just because of my lack of Dutch reformed history, because I'm obviously not Dutch. But it's my it's my love for the Dutch Reformed theology um, that keeps me here and keeps my purpose in this denomination um, at the forefront. That's my story. Thanks yeah, and that's that. yeah, and that's helpful because I think it connects with uh, some of what Drew was pointing at, and I suppose maybe I'll just take it back to one of my hobby horses. But a lot of it ties back to discipleship. Mm -hmm. um, for you, it, it was discipleship in God's word and the confessions and, um, yeah. the, and, and good discipleship, not just like, Hey, 
we're going to teach you. <laughs> I, I should not be, I should be careful because I'm kind of tooting my own horn because I'm the one that discipled you. But... <laughs> Such a good discipler. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it wasn't just, we're going to teach this to you because this is what we have to do or what we should do, or this is what CRC people do, but we're going to teach this to you because it's beautiful and it's good and it's glorious and it helps you worship God and follow him more. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of discipleship is very different where my dad, and I, I, I gotta be careful not to speak for him too much, but, but he felt very much like the discipleship he received was, this is what CRC people do. You need to learn this. And uh, he never really felt like we're teaching this because it's good and true and beautiful. Yeah. I think that that's a, a really important insight because some of what's going on, I sense to be some, a little bit generational where um, what you're talking about, your dad experienced, even for me as a pastor of this church, that generation, it's very common for them to say, well, I hated catechism class. Mm-hmm. It was dry and it was taught by somebody who just said, you have to learn this because it's good. And it was, it was something that they loathed. And so then that being my parents' generation, what they did in turn was um, maybe throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is sign up for our newsletter through Substack. That way, you'll get episodes and summaries sent directly to your email inbox. It will also give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head over to the Messy Reformation on Substack and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Drew Hukuma. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So, keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.